guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, hi, my name is Paul. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, I'm the pastor here at Gulfside. And if you, your first Sunday at Gulfside was three weeks ago, you might not even know who I am. But I'm super, so excited to be back here sharing from God's Word. Had a great family vacation with my kids, um, great time with them. We actually got the opportunity to take them water skiing and teach them how to water ski which I was pumped to do because I was like, I'm just going to get out there in the water and show them how to do it. I mean, granted, it's been 20 years since I've done it, but when I learned, it was so easy to get up on top of the water on water skis. So I was like, I'll go out first and I'll just show them how. And I forgot that I had developed this condition called being 40. And it wasn't as easy as it used to be. But I will tell you, I eventually got up on top of the water with those water skis and water skied around it only cost me my left hamstring to do it, but I did it. And yeah, it's a, so one, one person's like, yeah, I think that's good. I can't tell injuries there, but it was a win. Don't get me wrong. It was a win. Uh, with my kids too, it, it was hard for them to get up on top of the water. Like it was a struggle. It was a fight. And, and some of them were able to do it and took them water skiing around the lake. And, and there's just this truth. That I remember when I first learned to water ski, like it was so easy, I didn't even think of it as an accomplishment. Like, I mean, I probably weighed like eight pounds at the time, and I was like five foot tall, and, and I just popped right on top of the water. It was easy, didn't think much of it. But for my kids, it was so difficult to pick up. It was, it was like a tremendous thing for them. Like they, they were so proud of themselves. And it, it's interesting, and it doesn't make an accomplishment more valuable if it was difficult, but there's just some truth to the experience that when you have to push through difficulty to get to a goal, you look back at that differently. The things that come along easy in life, we see those one way, and the things that we had to work for and fight for and sweat for and fall down for and go through physical difficulty to get that goal, we see that differently. It means something different to us. The whole ex experience is different if it's easy or if it's difficult. And we're going to begin in the next week, we're going to take some lessons from some of the Old Testament prophets. And for a church that, you know, we are Jesus-centered, like the, the, the center of our message is about Jesus, it can feel like, well, what are we going to learn from the prophets? They lived so long ago, and they didn't live during the time of Jesus. And I want to tell you, one of the things we learned from the Old Testament is there is nothing new under the sun. And you might feel like the difficulties of today, they had no experience with it. I want to actually tell you, as we look at specifically the prophet Jeremiah today, in his lifespan, he experienced something that will be very relatable to some of you. Some of you can think back in memory and you can remember a time when our culture and our government had a very positive view of Christianity in the church and you're feeling like, man, this is crazy. The whole world has just kind of turned against the church and it has looked at it with such a negative view and you, you feel like this has never happened in history before. It's happened quite a few times actually. And in fact, in Jeremiah's life, he saw a transition after almost 20 years of ministry where one king who looked at him favorably was replaced with other kings who had a lot of animosity towards him. He saw a huge transition in the culture in a way that probably many of you guys feel like you're watching it happen as well. Jeremiah, he, he set up and he had words that spoke about the Christ who was to come. 
And I believe it's going to be so encouraging, and I believe it's going to build up your faith, but specifically the adversity that he had to walk through. I want to dial into a little bit today, and I just want to introduce you to some of the prophets from the Old Testament over the next few weeks. And today we're going to start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, his ministry and his life, his ministry started around 627 to 626 BC, before the time of Christ. And when he first started in ministry, it's believed that when he received his calling from God to be a prophet, he was about 17 years old. In the household that he grew up in, he came from a line of priests, so he had seen religious work as part of a lifestyle, but a lot of the priests in this time had moved very far from God. And when he was 17, it's interesting, as he gets this call from God, his response to God's calling was a lot like the response to Moses, where he said, I, I'm not a good person to go and speak for you. Like someone else will be more eloquent, and he fought back against it. And if you've walked with God for a little while, you've probably seen the trend that when God begins to ask you to do something, even if you object to it, God doesn't really relent. He's like, no, I actually know what's best for you. Like, this is where you're going to go towards. And and Jeremiah found and figured out that, that God was serious and God had not made a mistake when he called him. And just to reaffirm to you that as God calls you and puts puts a movement on your heart to to engage in something, to make a difference somewhere. To, to, to honor God in your life in a specific area, God has not made a mistake. And you can trust him even if you feel inadequate. In fact, I, I believe the feeling of inadequacy paired with a calling from God is an affirmation because God wants to show off his power in your life. And he's not gonna ask you to do something that you can do out of your own strength. And just like Jeremiah, God had so many options of so many other priests who were so much wiser than Jeremiah, so much older than him. And he said, you 17 year old are the one that I'm calling to speak to kings, to be my words, to, 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 I'm gonna have prophecy that moves through you. And God began to use Jeremiah. And when Jeremiah first began his ministry, he was serving under the, the, the king of the nation at the time was Josiah. Josiah became king when he was only eight years old. And if you know anything about life and politics, you'd say, well, that eight-year-old really wasn't the king. You're right. He had advisors, and they were actually godly advisors that steered him in the right way. And I want to start here because I want you to have an understanding of the political and social framework that was going on. Josiah, he was a good king, and he had good advisors who pointed him in the right direction. And he began to to tear down some of the Asherah, some of the the, the cultish pagan gods that the the Israelites were following. He began to tear some of them down. He tore down altars to Baal, but King Josiah trying to lead the nation back towards God, it's sort of like when someone in your household, like your spouse decides you guys are going to eat healthy from now on, but you're really like not on board. And so when you're at home, you're eating the grilled chicken and the salad. But whenever you're out to lunch by yourself, you're licking the bottom of the KFC bucket and you're like extra gravy, extra crispy. And you're just taking in every ounce of that fried lard that you can while you can before you go back to the household where you don't have a choice about what you do. That's kind of what was happening. It's like King Josiah was saying, this is where we're going. But the people of the nation, they were still so far from God. They were still sneaking off to be part of this pagan worship. And while some things were in the nation from the leadership standpoint were, were better, the heart of the nation still wasn't right before God. And so Jeremiah, for the first 18 years of his role as prophet to the nation, he the king that reigned over him was King Josiah, a godly king. But after that, at that point, in the 18th year of Jeremiah's ministry, Josiah died in battle. 
and he was replaced by some short-lived kings and jo- jo- Jehoiakim, who, who reigned for a longer time, and they were very antagonistic towards him. And so he, his first experience was welcomed, but then for the 22 years after, into the complete fall and destruction uh, of, of the kingdom, it was what we would term as unsolicited advice. Are you, are, are you familiar with unsolicited advice? Have you ever received that? Um, there, there's people who've given me some unsolicited comments and advice about my hair. Like, Paul, your, your hair's turning gray. As if I didn't recognize that, thank you for bringing it to my attention. And no, I don't feel like coloring my hair. You guys gave me this gray hair and I'm going to show it off, all right? It's okay if I'm 40 and gray-headed. The Bible says it's a crown of wisdom, right? Like, it's okay. Um, Unsolicited advice comes in that way. You guys have received it from people and you're like, what they're saying might be true, it might be untrue, but no matter what, it's unwelcome because you didn't invite them to give you those words into your life. My children have given me unsolicited advice before. My three and a half child one time, and I will refrain from saying the name of the guilty party, but um, she had a stethoscope, a play stethoscope, because, you know, mom's in the medical field, and so emulating mom, and she's like, dad, I'm going to give you a checkup, lay down on the couch. As a young father, laying down on the couch is always a good idea, so okay, go for it. She puts her stethoscope on my head, listens, concerned, puts it on my knee, puts it on the bottom of my heel, listens, looking worse and worse, puts it on my belly, grave concern in her face. She looks at me in the eye and says, dad... You have fat belly. (laughs) Didn't ask your opinion, child. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and they're so difficult to get rid of when they say comments like that. But she, she said that, and what she said was unsolicited advice. It may have been true, but it was unwelcomed. And that's the difficult thing, is that we feel like if we don't want someone's input, even if what they have to say, even if it's true, We're going to just discard what they have to say because if we didn't give them the place to speak that into our life, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to change it. So we're going to ignore it. And I am not empowering you to go around and give people unsolicited advice. I am not empowering you to go diagnose people with fat belly. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying to you is that there have probably been times where someone who authentically loves you, someone who is authentically concerned about you, comes up to you and speaks truth into your life, and you might have been unwilling to receive it because you said, I didn't ask their opinion. Sometimes truth comes in a form that's hard to receive, but it doesn't change the fact that it's truth. And Jeremiah's ministry, as we read his writings and his interactions, I want you to understand the perspective that he was preaching and sharing prophecy to a nation that didn't want to hear it. He was serving under a king who didn't agree with him. And he was in fact serving under a high priest who would have him beaten and put into stocks and embarrassed. But what he was speaking was true and the words that he were given were given to him from the Lord Almighty. And we, we look at that from Jeremiah's perspective, but I want to shift you for a minute to the people who were around Jeremiah. Because he had a truth that needed to be spoken and time after time, the people of God, listen to me, the people of God heard a word from God, but because it messed with the way they lived their life, because it messed with the path that they thought would lead them to prosperity and happiness, they rejected it. And the church in America should take caution. 
that when we reject the truth of the scriptures, when we reject the truth of the word of God, because it conflicts with what we think will lead us towards prosperity and happiness, we have now put man's wisdom above God's wisdom, and it is leading us to a path of destruction. Jeremiah brought, brought these cautions. In fact, one of the ways that he's described in scripture is that he was the weeping prophet. And I, I want to I start with that because when we think about getting a warning from someone, I want to make sure you see Jeremiah, his heart was for the people and his heart was for God. Because if he just wanted to see them be destroyed, he would have been like the prophet Jonah who, run, who ran away from sharing a message that would lead to the repentance of a people. Jeremiah went after them time and time again to try to give them a course correction, but they would not have it. And in fact, in case you don't have much familiarity with the Old Testament and and the arrangement that God had with his people this time, God's arrangement with his people or covenant as scripture uses, as you see this in our English translations, the covenant that he had with his people was this. He made a promise to them. I will bring you into this land and this land will be fruitful. It will provide for you crops and the food that you need and you will have it in abundance as long as you walk with me. But, but if you turn towards these foreign gods, these pagan gods, these cultish actions, if you turn from these, I will not just make the land stop producing. I will run you out of the land. While you walk with me, I will protect you. No nation will prevail against you. But if you turn from me, I will push you out. And as I say that, you might be like, that sounds unfair. Like they're just choosing another flavor. Who cares if they just add a little bit more of some some different religion into the mix? I want to make sure you understand the details of the, the pagan religions that they were incorporating into their faith. And in fact, the the worship of Asherah, as you'll read about in Jeremiah and other places in the Old Testament, they tried to incorporate and they began to say that Asherah, this goddess of fertility, was actually in the Garden of Eden and it was the tree of life. And so they would trim the, the branches off of a tree and then they would carve her likeness into a tree. And then they believed that in order to have fertility and children, that they would have to participate in ritualistic sexual activity that was destructive. And then Asherah's son was believed to be Baal, and we see a lot about Baal worship. During times of extreme difficulty, Baal, the followers of Baal, would demand child sacrifice. And it's not just that they were worshiping some other god. Their worship of the other god were things that were destructive. They were to the point of burning children alive. And when we see this, that they were worshiping Baal, we're talking about the destructive the destructive nature of the worship, not just the fact that they were adding something to the mix. They were actually destroying lives. And so that was, that was profane in God's sight, what they were doing to their children, what they were doing to the sacred gift that God gave them. And so God spoke to them. And in chapter one, verse 16, we'll put this on the screen as I read it. This is Jeremiah speaking, uh, speaking the prophecy that God gave. He said, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Chapter two, verse seven, God speaks of the covenant and he says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. 
Now, the, the popular thought of the day was that you could actually be guilty if you did not participate in this. And so the social pressure was there that if you did not participate in the worship of Asher, if you did not participate in the worship of Baal, the problem could become on you. And so it became you pitted with your relationship and your belief in the one God Almighty against the prevalent social thought of the day. There was immense pressure about this, about the way that people should be living. And to take that stand to say, this is the one true God, this is the one true way, the people of Israel had departed from it. And they bought into another lifestyle of living. Let me compare it to this. It's sort of like adopting the mentality that, you know what, I don't have the money for this right now, but I want it. And other people say I deserve it. The commercials tell me I deserve it. So I'm just going to put it on the credit card and I'm going to charge it up because I feel like doing it and I deserve to be happy. And so I spend an extra thousand dollars a month or so for about 10 years and I'm shocked. I am absolutely shocked 10 years down the road when I have about $200,000 in debt and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem fair. I just did what I wanted to do or in a relationship. I just said what I felt like what I was feeling and what I wanted. It doesn't matter if my words came off harsh. It doesn't matter that I continued to cut them down to size with my words. Eventually, five years down the road, when they leave because they felt attacked every single day, I was just saying what I felt like and being true to myself. Or spiritually. I stopped going to church because, you know, fishing, it's best in Sunday mornings. Like, you got to go hit the waters when they calm, or that's when the best tea times were. Or, you know, we just need to sleep in because of the kids. And spiritually, I got uninvolved from the church, and I stopped listening to music that fed my soul, and I stopped studying scripture. I stopped listening to things that would actually sharpen the way I live my life for God. And slowly, decision after decision, it banked up until I don't even remember what having an active faith felt like. And now my faith feels dead. We understand that these are obvious ends to actions. That if you continue to spend money you don't have, it will add up to bankruptcy. That if you continue to attack the people around you with words, it will end up in loneliness. That if you do not spend time with God and spend time in service to God, that spiritually you will eventually feel dead. We understand it ends up like that when we talk about it, but when in the middle of the experience, we just feel like it would never end that way. This is where Israel was. They were at the obvious end of their actions, generations of people sacrificing to a foreign God, forgetting that the scriptures were there at all, living in the way that everyone else around them lived, and they reached this obvious end that they were warned about, where God said, and listen, This is the other side of God's faithfulness. This is the the other side that God is always true to his word. He said, if you go down that road, it will lead to you being expelled from the land. And that is what began to happen. Three specific different times where they were defeated and partially deported and spread out were the third and final time where the city was just laid in ruin. And we can see it with such 2020 vision with the nation of Israel, with the people of Judah. That if you if you if you're sacrificing children, if you're involved in in this ritualistic sexual activity, then of course God's judgment is gonna come. The obvious end of sin is gonna be destruction in that way. But why do we miss it when it's happening in our life, in our nation, and in our churches today? There's an obvious trajectory in the way that you're living your life that is going to put you somewhere. 
And in fact, this, this, is, this is an interesting thing, that if this is like right where you should be in your life, and this is complete overachieving, and this is complete not even trying and failing, the person who is like, I'm overachieving, and I'm so good that I can just sit here in my accomplishments, and I can just coast in life, I am more concerned about the destruction of that person than the person who's been messing up for years who says, I need to begin to take some steps to get things right. Like, I, I'm way away from where I should be, but I just need to begin to move towards, that, towards where I should be. I'm more concerned about the person who looks like their life is together because your trajectory matters. If you think you can stay stationary in your life and in your faith, I'm going to tell you, you're going to begin to sink. You have a trajectory in the way that you live your life. You are crossing decisions, and those decisions have destinations. Jeremiah says it like this when he's sharing his prophecy with the nation in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. We'll put this on the screen. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Dial into this last part of it. But you said we will not walk in it. I would wager that the people hearing that prophecy from Jeremiah would say, we never said that. Never said it, but you did it. And I, I love the, the illustration that, of the crossroads. There's decisions that are made, that your, your choices that are made in the way that you relate to your spouse, the decisions that are made in the way that you relate to your children, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, there are decisions that are made. The way that you start your day, there are decisions that are made. The way that you end your night, there are decisions that are made, and they're pointing you towards destinations. And Jeremiah's warning to them is that there is a way of God and there's a way of destruction and you are choosing not to walk in the way of God. And this is echoed throughout scripture, beautifully put in James, where it talks about faith and works. Faith without works is dead and works without faith is dead. It takes both. And I don't think any church in America would just say, well, we're just not going to walk in his ways. But so many churches have departed from the application of Scripture in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. And I don't care if you've been messing up or I don't care if you've just been overachieving. I care about your trajectory. When you're reaching these decision points, is your heartbeat, is your compass set to, I want to walk in his ways? Because if you have a heartbeat of, I'm going to just coast, like I studied scripture a lot 10 years ago, like I know it, I can call it from memory, like it's stored up in there, but you stop seeking a fresh word from the Lord on a daily basis, you're going to begin to coast and you're going to begin to fall back. If you begin to believe, well, I, I served, I served for a long time, I served for decades at, at this other place, but I'm just not going to serve anymore. I'm concerned about you. Like I've never served, I've never been part of church, but I feel like God's doing something in my heart and I want to honor him. And so I'm just going to get started and I still smell like cigarette smoke and I, I still, I'm getting my tongue under control, but, but I'm going where I should go. I'm proud of you. Trajectory matters. Like the trajectory of where we're going, it matters. Your decisions, they're going to lead to destinations and 
The nation got the warning. You're at a crossroads. And right now, if you feel like you have just been kind of sitting back on your heels or just sitting in your faith, you're at a crossroads too. You have a decision to make. Am I going to see God work in my life or am I going to just sit and look for spiritual entertainment in the church? Oh, I will rant on that if you give me the opportunity. I hope our church is engaging to you. I, I, I do, but at the same time, I don't care. <laughs> what I care about is are you taking steps? Are you walking in the faith? I, I, could, I could try to come here every Sunday morning and I could give you some really interesting typology about Christ from the Old Testament, these really cool parallels, and I'm not interested in just providing theological, speculca- spec- theological speculation about the way that things connect to each other. What I'm really interested about is are you going to go home and find a way to love your neighbor? What I'm really interested in is are you going to go home and find a way to honor your spouse? Are you going to raise your kids up in the Lord? Are you going to work with all your heart at your job to honor your heavenly father? Like I'm interested in, are you walking it out? Because there are so many people who heard the prophecy of Jeremiah that day on the crossroads that they were theological leaders. They were priests. They did the sacrifices. They put animals to death. They sprinkled blood on the altar. They did all of the things, but they did not actually walk with the Lord. And that has to be what it comes down to. That, I mean, as you hear that, I believe that there's part of your soul that it just says, like, that, that's what it is. Like, I have to walk with him. I have to know him. It's not just going through a class at church. It's not just engaging in these activities or these religious rites. It's actually having a relationship with him and walking in his ways. God has a calling on your life every single morning when you wake up. There are crossroads that we interact with that it will be his ways were our ways. And as I look at Jeremiah, man, there are so many, so many things that do point us towards Jesus. And in fact, when, when, some, when Jesus was asking the question, what do people say about me? He asked his disciples that question one time in Matthew 16, 14. And the response that he got back is they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some other, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Like there's, there's these threads that we do see in Jesus' life and ministry and in Jeremiah because Jeremiah had that heart where he weeped over God's people. He weeped over their brokenness. He weeped over the fact that they, they would not repent. And when you have someone in your life who is concerned enough to, to point you back in the right direction at risk of offending you, understand that person loves you. I love the statement that we have no business preaching about hell until we've weeped over hell. We have, we, we have, no, we have no business preaching about a destructive end that someone would reach to unless we are so concerned about them that that is the motivation for us sharing. Jeremiah wept over God's people because he believed what God had to say, that if they don't repent, the nation will be destroyed and they will be taken out into captivity. And it is what happened. When Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, he wept over the city because he saw their brokenness. He saw their sin. He saw the cross that he was headed towards to bring them restoration, but he knew the pain that they were in. And he wept over them. Some people, when they look at the Old and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, in your Bible, as it's divided up, you'll see those divisions. At the beginning of the New Testament, it starts with the Gospels. 
And and those are the stories of Jesus's life. And before that, it's the things that God did leading up to it. And as you read those, many people have come to the conclusion, they say, it seems like God interacts very differently. Like there's just like, it's, he seems different in the old and the new. And, 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 it's, and it can feel so separate. Jeremiah actually does a beautiful job of connecting the two. And it's one of the reasons why I want to introduce you to Jeremiah because reading his prophecies and his teaching, it, the word of God is so powerful in this. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, and I know I'm skipping a little bit in my notes um, for time's sake, but if we can put that up on the screen. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This is the interesting thing that when you go to people who even are, they're not believers in the New Testament, they're not believers in Christ, but they hold to the Old Testament, to the, to the law and to the prophets, it's written right in here to them, that God was gonna create a new system. God was speaking through Jeremiah and he was talking about this Jesus that was to come. And I, I, I see just that, that same parallel piece of that, that decision, that point in the road where Jesus talks about, like, if you ask and you seek and you knock, it will be open to you. Like, there's an opportunity for change for you. In the same way Jeremiah was calling out to his people, saying, look at the crossroads and pick the way of God. Jesus was calling out and saying, walk in my ways. Follow me. And that decision that was given to Israel, it's given to us as well if we're gonna walk with Jesus and walk in his ways. And band, if you guys would come up, I'm gonna begin to close this out. And as I kind of wrap up some thoughts on Jeremiah, I wanna share with you one of my favorite verses from the book of Jeremiah. As, as Jeremiah pointed to that God, God's covenant was changing with us, that there's this new plan and he was preaching. There, there's this truth of adversity that he went through in his life. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse one, it says, now, now Peshur, son of Emer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah the prophet and had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin gate of the Lord's temple. So the, the priests of the temple, when Jeremiah was bringing the word that he was supposed to bring, had him beaten and put into stocks. And Jeremiah was trying to process, like, this does not seem fair. He actually cries out to God, and he's like, God, you you have deceived me, and I've been deceived by you because I shared your word, and I ended up in this place. And and he talks about the difficulty of it. And then in verse 9, he says, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones, and I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. And as I describe that, I understand that some people will hear what Jeremiah went through and they'll hear the callings of God to endure difficulty for his namesake and it will sound crazy to them. And I am not trying to invite or pressure anyone to take steps of faith that are not their own. That's not what this is. But there are some people that when they hear what Jeremiah is saying, they're like, I I resonate with that because I have seen how incredible our God is. I have seen his love on display through Jesus Christ and all that God has given me, all that he has blessed me with, the new life that he has given me, the way that he's healed things in the past, 
he is worth more than anything else this earth could give. And there are people who have seen the truth of God and they say, I would endure anything for his namesake. And if you're in the camp that says, I don't understand what people would endure difficulty for the worship of God, I wanna invite you to just test God a little bit. Taste and see if he's good. Invite him to begin to work in your life. Jesus says, if you, if you seek, you will find. Jeremiah actually says, when you seek with all of your heart, you will find God. Try him out and you might learn something about God because his love is without end. His mercies never fail. And you've probably been looking for him your whole life and trying to fill that void with other things that just will not satisfy. Try him. Some of us in the room, we know that his goodness is worth anything, but we've departed from his ways. And I want to bring you back to that crossroads. You said yes to him once at a crossroads and you need to say yes to him again. You need to get back onto the right path. And maybe it's felt difficult. Maybe your heart has been breaking. Maybe there's an addiction that's taken hold. It's time to walk in his ways again. I'm a Florida boy. I'm going to close with a story. When I was about seven, and my mom is not going to like this story at all um, because she doesn't know about it. I was like seven or eight years old, and it must, must have been summertime because she was at work and I was at home. And one of my friends who was about 11, he had a little John boat. If you can put that picture of a John boat up, um, that's what a little John boat looks like, a little like 15 horsepower motor on it. And we lived near the airport in Naples, by, right by some little canal creek. And if we took that canal, we could get out to Naples Bay by Kelly's Fish House, sneak past where my dad's boat was because he couldn't see me either. And we headed out to the bay to go do some fishing. And I loved the water. I mean, we're seeing manatees, having a great time. But if you know anything about Southwest Florida, when about 2 or 3 p.m. hits on an afternoon day, you know what's coming. And that thunderhead rolled in and the sky turned black and my face turned white. Because as the rain started coming in sideways, we're in that little John boat and those waves felt like they were 20 feet tall. And I'm like, I am dead. Whether I drown or whether we get to a dock and I have to call my mom for help, I am dead today. And I literally, I've been out on the ocean on some big boats, but never in the bay in a storm like that on a little boat. And I told my friend, I was like, we just need to go to a dock. There's lightning, the waves are huge. He's like, no, we're gonna be fine. We're gonna make it home. And I'm like, you're gonna kill us. And every wave I expect, like this is our last wave. Like I, I need to swim. Uh, it's the 80s. I don't even think we had life jackets. Like, like I was scared. But he kept us trucking wave by wave, splash after splash, we made it back to the dock. And I learned a lesson that day. And it's probably not the lesson that I should have learned or that you thought I would learn. I didn't learn not to sneak off on the boat. That still happened. I learned the boat can get me through worse storms than what I thought it could. Where, where I thought its limit was, I was wrong. We were okay. And maybe in your faith, you've stepped away from it because you thought you had to go outside of God's bounds to get the goal that you want, to get the happiness that you want. And I want to tell you, your faith is stronger than you think. It's not even your faith. Jesus is more able than you 
God is more willing than you think. He wants to work in your life more than you think. And he can get you through that storm that you didn't think you could get through with him. He will see you through the other side of it. Your faith will take you where you need to go. But you'll be at a crossroads. My encouragement to you today is make the decision. I'm gonna walk in his ways. Even if it means difficulty even if it means strain, even if it means suffering. I'm going to walk in his ways. Let's pray. Will you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we know. We know that you're enough. And we know that everything else that we've tried to cling on to satisfy the desires in our heart and our soul, none of them are enough, but you are enough. And so, Father, we repent and we change directions for the times where we've chosen to go away from you. And as you move in our heart today, give us the boldness, give us the courage to once again walk in your ways, knowing that our decisions lead to destinations and we want to be with you. So give us courage as we take this step. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.